Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Mondays, we're going to be Donuts with Dad Day. And because I'm a little high maintenance sometimes, it also became uh, Dad Gets Coffee on the Way to Donuts Day. And I remember one particular morning, this wasn't too long ago, about, I guess, close to the end of school, we uh, went to Sugar Brown's Coffee on 82nd Street. It's right close to our house, so we stopped there, got my Americano, and from the time we got to the drive through window to the time we departed Sugar Brown's, it may have taken 60 seconds, right? Like to, to order, then give me the coffee, pay all that good stuff, even have a short conversation, about 60 seconds. We drive across 82nd Street to Rita's Donuts, fantastic establishment, and we got to get a cherry fritter, and an apple fritter. By the way, I didn't know cherry fritters existed, so you're welcome, by the way. And uh, we get in line, and this particular Monday morning, the line was pretty long. Uh, so we waited for a while, and the longer we wait, the more anxious I'm getting because I don't want to have to tell my wife that I was late getting the kids to school, right? So finally, 10 minutes go by because there were so many cars there. So not the rest, not the Rita's fault, God bless Rita, but so many cars. Anyways, we get the donuts, and on the way to school, I start, I'm getting more nervous and saying, man, I'm just, oh, hope we're not late. We cautiously but quickly pull into the school parking lot. I'm handing out toothbrushes because you got to brush your teeth after an apple fritter, right? So get that sugar off, so brush teeth, and I say, man, that was a close one, but we made it. And my five-year-old daughter in the back seat, as serious as she could be, said, daddy, I'm sorry, but I just don't think we have time to stop for your coffee anymore. <laughs> <laughs> And I immediately, Carolina Tate, you know it was not my fault. It was your donut that was the problem. Of course, she eventually started laughing. But I loved her ability to uh, elude and, and uh, shake off the real issue, right? Like, let's just blame it on something else. You know, we, we do that as humans and certainly as believers too, meaning we like to deny what is really going on. We like to deny what the, what the real issue is. We like to maybe push it on something else, blame it on something else. And one way that may look, or even, again, just part of denial, it may look like this. You're coming to church or seeing your friend at work or wherever and say, oh, man, things are good. Things are great. Wow. In reality, inside, there's just turmoil going on. Or you know, maybe you're, you're posting on social media the best and the greatest highlights of your life, but you know that's one small snapshot and the rest is a mess. That is why I love the book of Psalms, or one of the reasons why. We're going to be in the Psalms the next nine weeks, including today. And over and over again, they invite us in to honesty about what we experience in this life. You know, some days, life is like sitting by the pool, drinking your iced tea. Other days, life is like walking around on the hot asphalt in July at SeaWorld, paying $12 for a bottle of water. <laughs> Sometimes life is like a latte from your favorite coffee shop, sweet and smooth. Other times it's like a cup of coffee from a motel diner, bitter and gritty. <laughs> you know, one of the most bitter seasons you can find yourself in, even as a believer, is feeling forgotten. 
And not just forgotten by people, but forgotten by God. Now, let's be honest. Does God forget you? Thank you. No. Yeah, good job, kiddo, whoever that was. Yeah. No, he does not forget you. But you better believe you can feel that way. There's times God feels so distant. What I love about Psalm 13 in particular, where we're at today, Psalm 13, is one, David's honest about what he's experiencing. We're going to talk about that. But also, he gives us a roadmap of what to do when you feel like God has forgotten you. Even if you know, like, you know here he hasn't forgotten you. What do you do when you feel here like he has? What do you do? Chapter 13, verse 1. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every single day. How long will my enemy dominate me? Here's the first thing you do, and here's what we see David doing. Here's what we're to do. First thing you do when you feel forgotten by God. Number one, tell him how you feel. Tell him how you feel. Be honest with him. It's exactly what David does. Notice four times he says, how long? You know, when you're in a difficult season of, of bitter suffering, even what is in reality a short time, objectively a short time, can feel like an eternity, right? So he says, are you going to forget me forever? It feels like forever, God, that you've just ignored me, that you don't care for me. And he says, it feels like forever that you've hidden your face from me. You know, throughout all of scripture, we learn that we get to have an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But there are times that can feel like you're just talking to the back of God's head. (laughs) Lord, could you just turn around for a second so we can have a conversation, so I can see your ears and know you're listening to me. How long? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every single day. You know, even as a believer, someone who is trusting in God, there are times that it feels like all you can do is keep downloading agony and anxious thoughts into your heart and mind. And friend, if you haven't experienced this yet, you will one day. Just overcome with anxiety and agony. Another way to translate agony there is sorrow. He says, how long will my enemy dominate me? So have victory, exalt, be exalted over me, rain down over me. You know, the Psalms are intentionally general in many cases. So sometimes they lay out a situation specifically, but most times, like here in chapter 13, it's a general situation. And I believe the Holy Spirit inspired David to write it this way because it applies to our lives in so many ways. So enemy here, don't just think like, who our armed forces are fighting against. Enemy could be really anything that is coming against you. It's like just to name a few, just to get the wheels turning a little bit. Maybe the enemy that you feel like has victory over you and therefore is leading you to feel forgotten by God is a sinful desire. Something you just, you keep repenting of, you keep turning away from, but then you keep turning back to it. Maybe it's like Paul, a thorn in the flesh. Something that just, keeps causing you grief, but you can't seem to overcome it or get rid of it. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's depression. Maybe the enemy is a coworker. Maybe the enemy is a family member. (laughs) 
as my, as my pastor used to say, amen or oh me. <laughs> Maybe it's your past. Maybe it's the feeling of insignificance or self-pity. Maybe it's financial stress caused by life circumstances. Like, anybody have to make an insurance claim in the past week? <laughs> Every hand goes up, right? Yeah, I was actually talking to a buddy this week. I appreciated his honesty. I asked him, hey, what, are, what would you say are some enemies in your life? And he texted back. He said, man, it feels like right now we just can't get a break. They've had several situations with their house, their car, and then now hell damage and some other issues. And he's like, man, it feels like we just can't get a break. He said, I know this isn't reality. But he said, in my heart and my mind, I feel like what my heart is wanting to say is, God, why are you picking on me? And it can feel that way sometimes, right? It can feel like, Lord, Lord, why are you bullying me? Feel forgotten by God. Maybe it's an unanswered prayer. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe your marriage isn't working out exactly how you thought it would be. But whatever it is, whatever the enemy is, when, when, when you don't feel like you're getting any victory and it's just pushing you further and further and further and God feels further and further and further, you need to do what David did and say, God, here's how I feel. And listen, it doesn't mean that you necessarily did something wrong when you're experiencing that. And it certainly doesn't mean that you are weak to tell God how you feel and that you're struggling. Not a trick question. You can look there in the subheading, chapter 13. Who wrote this chapter? Who wrote this? Yeah, King David. Last I checked, King David was a man's man. Like if he was still here, we'd probably have him speak at men's retreat every year. <laughs> killed a lion, killed a bear, killed Goliath. And they, the Israelites sang of him. They said, Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Like if David had been here this morning, he probably would have had to stand for every part of that song we sang for the salute to the armed forces. Like this was a beast of a man. And yet here we have him expressing his heart to God. God, where are you? Does it make you a wimp to tell God how you feel? You ever, you ever tried to push a beach ball under the water? You can make a fool of yourself real quick, right? I loved when I was the middle school pastor. We'd go to our friend's house and have a pool party with the middle schoolers. And lo and behold, always some middle school boy is going to try to belly flop onto the ball and make it sink. And like, he just ended up hurting himself, right? It's just as silly and foolish and unnecessary to try to shove your emotions down. Listen, God does not call us to be controlled by our emotions. That's foolish. That's ignorant. But God calls us to be honest about our emotions. God, here's what I'm feeling. As long as you keep pushing it down, it's just going to keep resurfacing. So the best thing to do is just give it to God. And that's exactly what David does. Just tell him how you feel. So I want to encourage you today, challenge you, maybe this afternoon, write down in a journal. If you don't journal, get your phone out and make a note. Write down how you feel. God, here's what I'm feeling. I want to encourage you. I would encourage you to do this alone so you don't weird everybody out. But to out loud, tell God how you feel. Do you know how freeing it can be? with honor, with reverence, but with honesty to say, God, I'm frustrated with you right now. I don't know what you're doing and I'm confused. Would you please speak to me? Be 
honest with him. Tell him how you feel. And once you take that step, we see David leads us to take another step. So first he's told God how he feels. Now he's gonna tell him what he longs for. Look at verse three. Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have triumphed over him and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. So real simple. What's the second thing we need to do when we feel forgotten by God? Ask him for help. It's pretty simple, right? Tell him how you feel and then ask him for help. Notice these aren't exclusive. They can go together. So God, I feel forgotten by you. How long is this going to take? And at the same time, God, I recognize you are my only hope. My only shot at deliverance, at freedom, at salvation from this situation is from you. God, I need you to help me. It was interesting, several commentators pointed this out, that when he says, consider me and answer, it's the kind of the verbiage there, the picture is of a child pulling on their, their father's shirt or their jacket and, and saying, hey, daddy, would you pay attention to me? I, I need you to look at me. I need you to hear what I'm saying. Do that with your heavenly father. God, I, I need you to look at me. And I need to get your attention. He says, restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I'll sleep in death. That word brightness, it's the same word used in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 27. 1 Samuel 14, 27. And in that passage, Saul's told the men they can't eat. But Jonathan doesn't know this. He goes and gets a honeycomb and he takes a big old bite of honey. And the text says that when he did, his eyes became bright. Man, think about that. When you've been really hungry or maybe in, in the heat of summer, when you go inside and like, if you're like me, you're a sucker for ice cream and you get that first bite of ice cream and oh, <laughs> you have life again, right? That's the picture here of what, what David's saying. God, restore brightness to my eyes. So this is not about cosmetics, make me look better. No, the idea is that God, do something in my heart that brings life, energy, refreshment. God, do something only you can do. You know, when you're overcome with anxiety and depression and frustration, it shows in your eyes. They become a little dull, dark. But when God is doing a new work in your heart, man, you can, you can see it in people's eyes. There's a vibrancy there. He's saying, that's what I need you to do, God. Restore life. Restore energy. Bring refreshment. Don't let my enemy triumph over me. Ask him for help. See, this is how we fight. When God feels far, when you feel forgotten, and you feel like whatever the enemy may be, the enemy is triumphing over you, you fight by asking God for help. May 1940, Germany invaded France. Shortly after that, we had some American war correspondents who went to tour France and, and, and Take in firsthand the carnage and the, the battle scenes, what it looked like now that Germany had conquered France. William L. Shire, he worked for CBS Radio at the time, was shocked. He was with some other war correspondents from America, but shocked at the lack of fighting in France. So they expected to see the extreme battles, and it appeared to them that Hitler's tanks had marched unhindered into France. He said there were key strategic bridges, bridges, not britches. <laughs> Gotta keep your pants on. 
key strategic bridges that had never been blown up, that would have prevented the Germans from advancing. There were high places that overlooked key strategic roads that artillery had never been set up on, fields that had never been touched with battle. William Shire wrote that it was as if the French had been paralyzed or drugged and the soul of France had been lost because they they didn't fight. How many of us, if spiritual war correspondents came and toured our lives, would say, man, like, I see, that was a season of feeling forgotten by God, but you didn't even fight. Like, instead of going to God and asking for help and seeking his face, you just gave up. Or, or, Or... You turn to coping mechanisms rather than turning to the one true God who can help you. Why didn't you fight? Ephesians 3.20 says that he's able to do, God is able to do immeasurably more. We can't even measure it. We don't have a ruler big enough. Immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine through the power, his power that is at work within us. Are you going to ask him? I love what one author said. Over and over and over again, the Bible points, points us to the who, not the how. Notice David, it's not this big, this impressive strategy. You know, his strategy is, I'm going to go to God. It's the who over the how. This author says, the simple rearrangement of three letters changes everything. Who are you running to is more important than, than how you're fighting. Because how you fight is running to God himself. Ask him for help. Tell him how you feel, then ask him for help. And the third thing you do, real simple, you choose to trust him. When you feel forgotten by God, you choose, make up your mind to trust him. So we've seen in verses one through two, he talks about how he feels. Verses three through four, God, here's what I'm longing for. In verses five and six, God, here's what I'm going to do. He says, but, so regardless of my circumstances, in spite of my situation, never mind how I feel, I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord. Notice um, all caps there. So O-R-D is a little bit smaller, but it's all caps. This is Yahweh in Hebrew, God's covenant keeping name. I'm going to remember that God is not, has not forgotten me, that God keeps his promises. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. So I may feel abandoned. I may feel forgotten. I'm going to tell you how I feel, God. I'm going to be honest with you because honesty leads to intimacy. I'm going to ask you for help. But at the end of the day, God, I'm going to choose to trust you because I know you are a faithful, loving God. In Hebrew, faithful love there in verse five is kesed. It's his covenant keeping, it refers to his covenant keeping nature, that he is a merciful God. He's full of loving kindness. God, that may not be what I'm feeling in this moment, but I know that's who you are. You're true to your promise. You are faithful. 
So my heart will, so even though my situation hasn't changed, my heart will, future tense, rejoice. I will sing to the Lord. You know, a trusting heart is a heart that sings. Now, I know some of us, it's easy to say, man, I'm just singing is not really my thing. Hey, if you know Jesus, you shouldn't make it your thing. <laughs> because a heart that trusts is a heart that sings. The late Eugene Peterson said, if we'll do the right thing with our hands and with our heads, so I would include our mouth there, our heart will soon follow. How many times have you been struggling, feeling distant from God, but then you come into worship or you crank up the radio in your car and you choose to sing anyways, and suddenly you find the Holy Spirit working in your heart and you beginning to trust him even in the hardship. Choose to trust, to praise, to rejoice, to sing because he's treated us Generous. I think the KGV says he's dealt bountifully with us. It's just been so, so good to us. I'm going to choose to trust him. Got to go on vacation a few weeks ago with our family. And I don't say this in any way um, bitter or begrudgingly, but towards the end of vacation, kid, our twins were walking in front of us laughing and cutting up. And I, I, it hit me how oblivious they were to all, all the time and planning that went into helping them have a great week, right? Parents, can I get an amen? <laughs> like, I was glad to do it. It was a joy, but they were just clueless about just, and even like we went to SeaWorld the last day. We were there, and like I'd, I'd got my map out or the, on my phone and planned out which ride we were going to do at which time and which show because I want them to have the best experience they can have. And they're just clueless. And I felt like as we were walking along, I felt like the Lord just lovingly and gently just said, Hey, I do that with you all the time. <laughs> right? Like, he's being good and gracious and kind, and we're just, do do have no clue. <laughs> I love what John Piper said, that at any given moment in your life, God may be doing 10,000 things, and you just see three. Amen. Choose to trust. I, I've shared this quote with you before, and I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if Pastor David has it as well. From Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he says, when you can't trace the hand of God, so God, I can't see what you're doing. When you can't trace the hand of God, learn to trust the heart of God. Amen. What if you made that a, a prayer? Not just a fun quote, but a prayer. God, when I can't trace your hands, when I can't see what you're doing, help me to trust your heart. Amen. And there's no greater display of God's heart for you there's no greater display of God's generosity toward you than the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. That he left heaven, died a sinner's death for you and I because he loves us. Even if God never did anything for you again, which he does and will, even if he never did anything again, the cross is enough proof that he loves and cares for you. And friend, remember when Jesus, as he hung on that cross, what did he ask of the Father? He asked the question, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he hung on that cross, he knew what it was to feel like, God, where are you? But then three days later, he rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave, and everything that separates us from God. He conquered it so that Friend, you can know this. Jesus was forsaken, so you will never be forgotten. Amen. His promises is true. Just before he ascended to heaven, he said, I am with you even to the end of the age. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He was forsaken, 
so you will never be forgotten, regardless of what you may be feeling right now. Friend, we're going to enter into a time of response in just a moment. I just want to ask you a few questions to consider as we talk with the Lord. One, do you need to learn to be more real, more authentic, more honest with God? Ask God to help you do that. And that may start by going, God, I don't know how to talk to you, but I'm being honest. (laughs) You need to be more honest. Do you need to create some better habits in your life instead of just giving up and throwing in the towel when God feels far, instead of just running to sinful coping mechanisms or even just earthly coping mechanisms, do you need to get better about God? I'm going to ask you for help when you feel distant. Or maybe you need to to grow in learning, choosing to trust. You know, I think so often choosing to trust, we're going to, we we have to break some patterns. So we're going to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give this to you. And then probably we're going to try to take it out of God's hand and be anxious and worried again. Hey, it's okay. You're a human. You're going to mess up. Just, Lord, forgive me. I'm going to give this back to you again. And you probably take it back and just give it again. God, help me to learn to choose to trust you because I know the cross proves I can trust you. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus for salvation. When the good news is, friend, that he stands with arms open wide, scars in his hands, showing you he loves you and is there to forgive you. Friend, you're saved not by getting it all right or doing your best. No, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, turning from yourself and turning to Jesus for salvation. What does that look like? Jesus, I believe in who you are. I know you paid the price for my sins, that you are God the Son. Jesus, I turn to you. I accept your free gift. Would you save me? Would you be in charge of my life? Listen, when when Jesus saves you, he will come in and rearrange a lot of things in your life. But it's the best remodel that that you could ever experience. Surrender to him this morning. There'll be some some folks down front that would love, after we pray and sing, or as we're singing, there'll be some folks down front that would love to pray for you, love to answer a question you might have. Maybe you want to know more about what it means to trust Jesus. It would be their greatest delight to talk to you about that. Maybe you have a question about joining the church or or baptism, and we're here to chat with you and talk with you. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to stand and sing and respond. God, I pray that we today would know and believe that you do care for us, that you have not forgotten us this morning. God, for those here this morning that came in feeling that way, I pray that they would know that and this message was for them, <laughs> that you haven't forgotten them, that you see them and you love them. Lord, as you may be dealing in our hearts and minds with a number of things, would you help us to be obedient and sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives? God, help us to respond boldly now. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.